In this episode, we wait out there with Larry Paradise from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Larry grew up in Connecticut and was introduced to the outdoors through his local hunting and fishing club. There, he began tying and later fly fishing. After September 11th, Larry joined the Air Force and was stationed in Alaska, where he continued his passion for fly fishing in the legendary trophy salmon and trout streams of his youth. Larry brought fly fishing and fly tying with him throughout his Air Force career on deployments and temporary duties whenever possible. He later joined the Air National Guard in Oklahoma City to pursue his dream of becoming a tactical air control party and joint terminal attack controller responsible for coordinating with attack aircraft for clearance of fires in combat. While in Oklahoma, Larry discovered carp fishing and became a part-time guide fishing his local waters and the Illinois River. We discuss how Larry managed to fly fish in some very unexpected locations while serving in the Air Force, carp fishing, and planning for uncertainty on your next fly fishing trip. Welcome to the Wade Out There Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Shemchuk. At Wade Out There, we believe fly fishing is special, but not elite, and that anyone can become a great fly fisher if they are willing to go, learn, and teach. Join me as I talk with other fly fishermen and women about their unique journeys into fly fishing, the rivers they fish, and the tactics and philosophies they practice. For those who can never leave the river in their hearts, this podcast is dedicated to helping you make the memories that keep us all coming back to wait out there. Welcome, Larry. Thanks for being on the Wait Out There podcast. Thanks, Jason. It's good to have another Air Force person on the show. I like talking to veterans in all shapes and sizes. And so I've been excited about talking to you for a while. I think I forget where I, I, I saw you, but I saw I was I saw you on social media. I know that. Uh and I think it was maybe Matt Simpson. He's like a, a redfish guy or something, but um I saw you on social media and I saw the TAC P man and I was like, This guy is real fishy and he's a TAC P. I gotta talk to him. I gotta talk to this guy. <laughs> How did you become a TAC P? I know we talked a little bit before the show, but I guess for people that don't know and aren't listening, can you kind of, first of all, before we get too far down the road, like this whole episode could just be me and you like talking, like tactics. talking tactics and stuff, yeah. talking tactics. <laughs> so I don't want that to be that. I don't want this to turn into that. And we're going to talk about carp fishing in Oklahoma city and, and some of the guiding you do and, and all that stuff. But I, I want people to have a background about how you got started in fishing I noticed another picture in there from 2004 with an Air Force hat with a striper. And so it seems like you've been fishing. That was before you went and joined the Air Force. So can you talk a little bit about kind of your background in fishing and then, you know, how that, how you joined the Air Force and, and kept fishing and stuff? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so I was uh, lucky enough to grow up uh, just down the street from a, a rod and gun club. And my dad was a big member. He was president for a while. And they had this junior outdoor sportsman's program for individuals aged 12 to, to 16. So a little four-year program. Um, and I had started in the summertime. And they did skeet shooting, trap shooting. And uh, in the wintertime, I was introduced to fly tying. And uh, so I actually started fly tying before I started fly fishing. Okay. And which was, yeah, I guess backwards, uh, for, for some people. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had, so I had the guy, uh, instructing 
uh, he became my mentor in fly fishing in my younger years, uh, John Springer. And we kind of hit it off because I was just an obnoxious, you know, smart aleck kid. And, you know, he enjoyed that. And so we would, you know, throw some jokes back and forth. Um, and then in the springtime, as everything thawed out, they brought us out fly fishing, uh, taught us how to cast, and we'd use those flies that we tied. Um, and it was actually kind of awesome just having that um, kind of that rod and gun club, like those older men as outdoorsmen, as mentors. Um, and where was, is this? Where where exactly are you? So this was uh, southeastern Connecticut and Norwich. Okay. And yeah, so it was pretty great. You'd have those individuals. They would always donate waders, rods, reels flies whatever and so it was pretty cheap upfront cost for me as as you know 12 year old kid and trying this new hobby um and so it was always great having that um there i remember um growing up had a couple of the buddies uh brought him into that program so one of my best friends uh andrew got in there and then now it's me and him just started fly fishing we fell in love with it we'd hang out we'd tie flies and on the weekends we'd get you know one of our mothers to drive us <laughs> to the river all right and then so did andrew join the air force with you did you guys uh, uh he did not he was uh he ended up uh doing construction with his father he was a pool okay. builder um but yeah i think it was probably my sophomore year in high school obviously had uh you know nine eleven all that stuff got motivated to join the military uh chose the marines uh, my father had just retired from the navy and so he's like son i don't want you to join the marines it's <laughs> like he's like you should go to the air force and so i thought about that had an old marine neighbor who was also like Hey, do you want to sleep on dirt floors or a hotel room? Uh-huh. You know, kind of thing. And and so I, I decided to join uh, the Air Force and uh, joined, like we said before, open electrical. You know, started uh, doing maintenance on some aircraft and got my first assignment down at tech school was uh, to Alaska. So that was so is that dream come true for you? Because you've been fishing uh fly fishing back in connecticut and this is the this is big time now right oh yeah so yeah i remember always reading uh magazines you know i had a subscription to everything um i I remember one article in particular but it was fly fishing the road system in alaska and it was talking about you know the parks highway and the seward highway and how accessible everything was and i was like man that's that's gonna be awesome seeing all these photos of all the salmon and big trout you know, I can remember uh, in tech school, you know, you go sit in a room, get on a computer and you select your your five bases, your top choices. And I think my top choices were uh, what Fairbanks, uh, which was Isleson, and then it was Elmendorf, Alaska. I, I, anything to do with Alaska is what I chose. And yeah, and I remember when our instructor was handing out the assignments, you know, he looks at it and I was like, hey, Sergeant, if it's not Alaska, just don't. Just don't tell me. <laughs> so he didn't tell me. And they like handed me the paper. And I was like, oh man, where am I going? And it was like, oh, Elmendorf Air Force Base, Alaska. I was like, like this relief came over me. And I was, yeah. I was pretty stoked. Not quite as cold as Ielson either. No, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I was up at Ielson, uh once. One time I've, I've been up there and 
Yeah, it's a big, big wilderness state, man. It's a lot of opportunities up there. Did you find those opportunities right away when you moved out there? Or how long did it take you to kind of get your feet under? Uh, So it's pretty much like the first day uh, I got there, met my sponsor, you know, hit the hit the dorm room, show me where I lived. um, And then brought me on the backside of the base. There was a few lakes out there and you know, show me where to go fishing. So as soon as, you know, my stuff got there and I had a car and had all my rods, I was hitting up the backside of base, all those lakes back there fishing for some rainbow trout. How old are you at this point? I was 19. Okay. And you wanted to be TACP or combat controller going in, right? But they ended up getting, uh, you didn't get what you wanted right. at first. And then later on, joined the guard and went through the program to become a tech. Yeah, yeah. I spent uh, ten years doing the aircraft maintenance. Um, so yeah, the first assignment was Elmendorf, Alaska, which is great. And then I spent a couple of years down at uh, Cannon, down in Clovis, New Mexico, which uh, was okay. a huge change from Alaska. Sure, yeah. A lot of fishing up in Alaska. Maybe not as much down there. What were some of the challenges that you had early on in fly fishing? Maybe that's in Connecticut or maybe that's in Alaska. Do you remember some, one of the more difficult things you had to kind of overcome in fly fishing as a beginner? Oh, just as a beginner being, uh, young, uh, not having the means to get to the water. Um, and then really purchasing, uh, gear was, was pretty tough. Getting yeah. stuff. I remember I used to cut lawns all the time. And I'd have, you know, items circled in catalogs and, you know, wait till I save okay. up to, to get, uh, you know, new fly line or, or new rod. Yeah, it can be challenging. Do you remember any time in Alaska that you had kind of like a breakthrough moment or something kind of light bulb went on for you in fly fishing where you were able to really progress? Well, at that time when I got up there, <clears throat> so I was, I was still doing a little bit of gear fishing, um, in which I did primarily for the, you know, salmon while I was up there. And I've, you've probably heard the term combat fishing, uh, in Alaska yeah. and it's, you know, guy shoulder to shoulder and, you know, you're, you know, you got this big heavy spinning rod and I was like, you know, my shoulder started hurting and I was like, I'm done with this. And so anytime we'd go fishing, I was like, I'm not dealing with the crowds. And I'm bringing my fly rod and I'm fishing for trout. And uh, this is on the Russian River, a uh, big, big red salmon run. And I, I started fishing down there. And it was kind of funny because you have all the salmon fishermen. They're in line on the river and they're fishing this certain pool. But I started seeing all these trout like hanging out in between all of the guys that are combat salmon fishing. And so I would walk the bank you know, between them and the fishermen drifting, you know, whether stonefly or flesh flies and catching trout. And it was kind of funny because everybody would look at me and they're like, man, what is this guy? What is this guy doing? Like, what is he fishing for? And then, you know, five, 10 minutes later, I'm, you know, hooked up to, you know, a nice, you know, 20 inch rainbow or something. I'm like, oh man. So I was, I would say that's my breakthrough moment of getting rid of the gear and, and, you know, salmon fishing embracing embracing the fly fishing larry for people don't understand like because i get it because i worked with uh guys like you a lot in the in the military but uh, we've been talking around it a little bit but what exactly is attack p so people understand what 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 you're doing in the air force now and what you trained up to do yeah so uh 
TACP stands for Tactical Air Control Party, um, and all TACPs are Joint Terminal Attack Control Qualified. Uh, what that allows us to do is provide clearance to fixed-wing aircraft to drop bombs on the battlefield. Um, and we primarily support the Army, and we do airspace deconfliction. We run a lot of the communications and the uh, surface-to-surface fires, so mortars and artillery as well for them. Yeah. That's why I was so excited to talk to you, because if I show up to the airspace in my airplane and you're not there, like, I don't, I don't understand what the ground force commander is doing, what he wants. Like I need somebody who's got his ear, uh, to kind of tell me like, this is where the friendlies are. This is where the enemy is. This is the ground commander's intent. This is what he needs to have happen. And then we work as a team. Really? That's the way I look at it. We're working together to, to get that job done. Uh, so that the, the folks on the ground can do their job. And, um, yeah, so it goes without saying, I've got a lot of respect for you and what you're doing. So I'm happy that guys like you are out there jobbing it, man, yeah, saying cleared hot on the radio. So thanks dude. Mutual respect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, when you're up in Alaska and time is winding down, you move, was it a difficult transition into the guard? And then, um, you know, you had to take a break from fishing a little bit, I would assume to kind of go through all the training and stuff like that. Oh yeah. It was, um, a big risk, uh, just on lifestyle, uh, location. Um, the wife and I, we, we just kind of moved out here on a whim in hopes that, you know, I make it in this career field. I pass, you know, the selection and all that. And cause your guard unit is in Oklahoma city. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so we made that move on a whim. And so I was hyper-focused on the one mission to be in shape, pass, you know, our selection, pass the tech school. And then once I got back to our unit, it was to progress as fast as I could, mainly because I'm coming in as, as an NCO. So I need to learn everything faster to, you know, fill that role in the unit. Uh, yeah. I didn't think about that. Yep. Uh, Okay. And it worked out. How long was the program? Uh, so I was in tech school for about, let's say it was May through November, uh, was just our portion of tech school. Um, and then I still had to go through, wait for a spot in SEER, um, wait to go to JTAC QC. We had to do initial combat skills training. Um, so overall, yeah. just, just the training to be upgraded to a JTAC took almost two years to complete that full, full journey. The pipeline. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Two years. That's a long time. Uh, but good for you, man. Congratulations. That's great. Uh, how long you been at JTAC now? Uh, so I've been at JTAC for, let's see, going on six years. Okay, cool. We talked about this before the show. I just want to bring this up for people that are curious about how hardcore, about how hardcore Larry is about fly fishing. You had you just got back from Djibouti uh, deployment, right? Yes. Um, so, and you took a fly rod with you to Djibouti, Africa. <laughs> I, I sure did. <laughs> and caught fish, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Can you can you first explain where Djibouti is, and then uh, like what that experience was like fishing on your deployment? Because I was spinning up for Djibouti at one point. We ended up not going there. We changed like three times and ended up going to Korea, but, uh, 
it never would have crossed my mind, dude. Never would have crossed <laughs> yeah. my mind. So yeah, that's pretty fishy, dude. That's bringing a fly rod out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, Djibouti. Best way to describe it is on the east side of Africa, as everyone always talks about the Horn of Africa. Djibouti is the Horn. Uh, so it's right there by the Gulf of Aden, going into the to the Red Sea. Yeah. And then what was the fishing like? Tell me about that. Uh, so yeah, we had the, the, the boat and we had took it out to make sure it, it still runs. Um, and <laughs> so we kind of run the, to some reefs and we would do some like slow drifts off the edge of the reef. It went from maybe like four foot from the reef to like, you know, a 60 foot plus drop off. And so we kind of focused that area. Um, we were throwing, just your standard saltwater fly, something that looks like a minnow. And um, yeah. we were just targeting fish um, of anything, you know, any sort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, we ended up catching a couple. Wasn't of, many guide shops around, I would imagine. Oh, no, 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 no fly shops <laughs> to go get get any flies or tidbit yeah, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but we actually ended up uh, successfully catching a couple orange spotted trevally, and uh, oh, nice! Yeah, and I got a small little coral grouper, so it was okay. Uh, it was pretty neat. <laughs> That's super fun, man. And I, I, I talk about this a lot on the show, and I, you know, I have had opportunities to move around in the Air Force, so I didn't take those. I, I didn't look at them as fishing opportunities, but it sounds like. Uh, sounds like you're the opposite, man. Like, have, is that something that you've been able to do throughout your time in the air force? Uh, when you go in TDY or you're going different places, you're always kind of, um, bringing fly fishing along with you. Yeah. Usually, you know, if it's, you know, a, a school work course, most of the time I'll bring, you know, a vice where I know I'll be in the hotel room, but, um, yeah. if we're, you know, doing a cast trip and we're going to be out in the range and we know we're traveling, I'm definitely, definitely packing my fly rod and, going to stop when we or slow down when we drive over a bridge and, and check it out. Yeah. I mean, I think it's underestimated how special that is, I think, because it's, I think it's very hard for people to kind of visualize or kind of look for fly fishing in places that they're unfamiliar with. Right. Um, and I think it would have been really easy for you to be in Alaska and say, all right, well, if it's not salmon or rainbow trout or mountains, you know, like I'm not interested, but it sounds like you were able to um, shed that mindset and kind of, you know, travel around and, and there's lots of really cool opportunities. Are there some other, I mean, catching Trevally in Djibouti is on a deployment, <laughs> combat deployment. Yeah. Dude. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Oh yeah. Uh, but is there, is there any other, like uh, I've often thought about like, what if Afghanistan was a different place? Like, you know, looking down at some of those rivers and stuff, like I'm sure you've been there, but, uh, it's a beautiful country really. But, um, I don't know if we're going to edit that out or what, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just looks like there's a lot of rivers that look yeah. really fishy up in the mountains and I can't stop. I can't help myself from thinking about that, but oh, yeah. is there any other like kind of kind of cool experiences or cool, um, temporary duties that you went on that, uh, you could say was another kind of example of where keeping an open mind, bringing a fly rod and different species, different water, and just getting after it, uh, was, um, I don't know, anything stands in your brain as a cool story or a cool example of that? 
Yeah, actually, uh, earlier this year, uh, some of our pre-deployment training went down to Gila Bend down in um, Arizona, which you're familiar with. <laughs> yeah, I but. took a A10 in there with no hydraulics on the right side, like my fourth sortie, my fourth <laughs> time in the jet. Uh, no, it couldn't have been. It wasn't. It was later on because it was during uh, close air support phase. So, um, yeah, we landed there and then ended up the long drive back yeah. <laughs> in the, the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Middle so, of nowhere. He'll have been. Yeah. And East tack. Were you on <laughs> yep. East tack? Yeah. East tack, West tack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are the ranges, uh, the, the ranges down there and it's very barren wasteland. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, have a couple guys that I got into fly fishing that are also tack peas with me and, and we're on this trip and I, I know there's good, carp fishing in phoenix so we did bring some fly rods um but phoenix like you said is you know it's a long drive um so you can't make that after a long day on the range uh so we did some you know map reconnaissance found some uh water there's a little um look like an old kind of canal dam that was built on the gila uh gila river there this is about a 20 minute drive for us uh, but we took all the guys with us, even though only three of us fly fish. Everyone came to hang out because there's nothing else to do in Gila Bend. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and so, Except control airplanes. Yep. <laughs> when they're flying. Cleared hots. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we ended up taking everyone up there in the minivan and with the intention to catch carp. And the water was a little muddy, but we kept seeing some surface disturbance. Um, in these like little, uh, cutouts of that canal. And so obviously you're going to cast to it. And, you know, after, you know, 20 minutes of nothing, somebody lands something and they're like, oh man, what is that? Well, they were, you know, these pretty big tilapia. And so, <laughs> so we kind of, you know, huddled back up, swapped some flies around be like, all right, cool. And this is what we're catching them on. And then go back out and everyone else that is not fly fishing is like, what the heck, man? Like, you're really catching stuff out here? And Yeah, uh, that's exactly what I, I would have been in that camp. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I have a fly fishing podcast, I probably would have been, like, sitting back, like, all right, man, good luck, dude. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was funny. One of my buddies, uh, Jacob, he was, like, pretty interested. He's like, oh, man, this is, like, pretty cool. You know, like, I need a hobby. Let me, uh, like, I'm like, yeah, sure, man. Like, I'll show you how to cast and, and everything. And, hell, it was probably forecast later and he was hooked up to a nice nice size tilapia and and he's like man i really enjoyed myself you know we sunset we had to go get dinner and and stuff and you know talking about fly fishing the whole drive back all through dinner with with jacob and then i had to run an evaluation down on the range the next day so i was i was out in the range you know east tack all day and so the guys that stayed back they ended up running up to phoenix for the day and so as we're coming back from the range, Jacob's out there in the lawn in front of the hotel practice casting his brand new fly rod he bought. <laughs> nice. So was, you got his new fly rod. All right. That's cool, man. That's cool. You're bringing people into the sport in ways that are, you know, very unique. And uh, for people that don't know, like Gila Bend and the tactical ranges out there are way out in the middle of the desert, like nothing else around. Um because that's where you are allowed to shoot and drop bombs, which is what you're doing is letting, you know, clearing the airspace, clearing the ground, making sure it's safe uh, and effective for 
close air support airplanes to, to, to employ ordnance. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you're not doing that like in and around populated areas. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's way out there and yeah, I would never think to bring a fly rod out there. Uh, so that's cool, man. That's a good story. Did you guys eat anything? Did you eat any of them? Or they kind uh, of no? I, I have a weird thing about you know it has to be like the you know nice clean water. The water wasn't very clean. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, that would have been even more crazy. All right, well, kind of sticking with that theme of finding fish in all these different places that you're going, you leave Alaska. Now you're in Oklahoma City. This is another place where it, it's not obvious that fly fishing is kind of. I don't know. There's a lot of fly fishing or good fly fishing to be had. But um, when you're done with your training and you're in Oklahoma City, can you talk a little bit about how you deal with that situation, I guess? Like take a deep breath, look around and, and say, okay, what is my fly fishing? How do I continue my fly fishing journey here in Oklahoma City? Yeah, well, no no shade on Oklahoma City. I'm just saying like it's not it's not the same as like, oh, there was this. JTAC school in yeah. Bozeman, Montana. And you know what I mean? It's a different, yeah. different oh, thing. Yeah. I was at first, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. Um, and then I, you know, sat behind the vice a lot, you know, to keep, try to keep some connection to it, but getting on the water was, was pretty few and far between. Um, found a few of those, those groups on Facebook and everything. And one of the guys had messaged me actually Levi's one of the guys, uh, fish with all the time and a, and a real good friend now he messaged me and he's like hey you want to go carp fishing this saturday nobody's going to turn down a fishing trip right right so, is this your first uh first carp trip first time for carp yeah i've i had tried it maybe once before this trip but this okay. is like the first one where i kind of you know figured out how to approach it in a better way. Mission planned for it. Yeah. We're going to talk yeah, about yeah. mission planning later. We're going to talk about, yeah. but keep going. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, fished with him and, and he brought along another guy who, you know, Nate, another good friend that, you know, we still fish today. Um, but, and Nate kind of, he had fished for carp a lot. So he kind of opened that realm to me, he showed me tactics, you know, the drag and drop. Um, and, you know, they got me on some fish that day and, then my eyes were open like, oh, well, carp live everywhere. I mean, <laughs> we were fishing in a puddle on the side of a freeway. <laughs> so. Well, just so you know, like I've, I've talked to guys, I've talked to uh, one guy in particular that uh, lives in Utah, which is plenty of trout in Utah. And this dude, he's all, he's the carp is his game. He loves oh, yeah. carp. It's, and we talked about carp on that podcast, even yeah. though we talked a little bit about trout fishing, some of the waters around there, but we talked a lot about carp because yeah. that's his passion. So was there something about carp that hit you hard that you really enjoyed or that you found? Was it, was it just out of necessity? Cause it was like the, the main game in town or was there other stuff about it that you enjoyed? I, I would say it probably, you know, started as like a necessity like oh, i need to go get a you know my rod bent uh, yeah uh, that that sounded funny <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh after we'll leave really, it in there we'll leave yeah. it in there we could have yeah. yeah and uh but but thinking about you know what i've been doing you know drifting you know indicators for trout like really looking at it like oh man this is cool this is something completely different than what i've been doing for the last seven years in alaska 
and and it, it you know I don't know if I would say it's a steep learning curve, but it is you would approach it a lot different than you would going to a trout stream, which yeah, in turn made me a better angler, whether it's stealth, finding fish, you know what to look for. Well, let's talk about some of that stuff. Let's talk some of these carp tactics. I mean, it's mostly city carp, but, and I don't, I don't want you to burn any of these Oklahoma city spots, but you know, where first, um, where are you looking or where are you going? And then besides the mission plan, cause I want to talk about that separate, yeah. but where are you going? And then, you know, stealth and approach and any kind of, I guess, first of all, where are you going? Like how are you picking where you go? Yeah. I, I usually, you know, I'll throw a rod in the, in the truck. I have a, you know, a couple of my go-to spots that I, I know I'm going to see fish and catch fish, but you know, then I'll, I'll look at, you know, Google maps and, and find just some park ponds, um, or just any kind of standoff body of water from the, the Oklahoma, uh, river there. And then the Canadian river in town. Um, and then, so the way I approach it, you know, with, with stealth, um, you know, muted colors, and I don't go all out like full camo and, you know, face paint and stuff, but okay. You know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but, uh, um, night vision goggles. Yep. Yeah. Borrow some of them, take them out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going to need these on long term. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wish I had some of those binoculars they used to give us. We used to have these binos that were like space stabilized for when we were flying. That was oh, the best. I didn't like, even know those I mean, existed. Those would be amazing yeah. on a boat. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. There's so many times in my life where I'm like, God, I wish I had some. I, mean, I guess I could go find them. I'm sure you can buy them. Yeah. They're probably really expensive. But yeah, we used to use them in the jet because like, it's kind of not the most stable. But when yeah. you're looking outside, you can space stabilize these binoculars and everything is real still and stuff. And it's awesome for talk-ons. But I'm sure it's great for hunting and fishing too. Oh, yeah. Has to be. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, Approaching carp water, so yeah, pick a body of water, and I guess the best way to describe my approach to the water uh, would be that of like you know a gray heron. If you've ever seen those birds on the river and how they stalk, you know, I try yeah. to try to move slow, try to stand off the bank, not cast a shadow. Um, and one of the things is you know there's times where I go check out a new pond, and you know I just walk. I don't I don't cast. Um, you know, cause I don't see what I'm, I'm looking for. Right. And, and, you know, Oklahoma, we have that red clay dirt. So we fish a lot in muddy water. So things I'm looking for is maybe, uh, a different transition, uh, shade of like a dust cloud, you know, from a feeding mm. fish, uh, the, really the tip of their tail, maybe breaking the surface or just under it and then bubbles, uh, which a lot of the time the bubbles are from turtles. Okay. Yeah. Turtles. <laughs> I, yeah, I yeah, hate yeah. turtles. I remember that from bass fishing in Missouri. Yeah. Turtles all over the place. Yeah. Okay. So your stealthy approach, going slow, moving slow, looking for these, these different things. Uh, and then, uh, what about presentation what about casting out to these fish and. Yeah. So, yeah. So with, uh, the water being so muddy, you can only see so far. So a lot of the fish that I'm fishing for, or maybe, might be 10 foot or closer off, off the bank. So it doesn't require a long cast. Uh, it would, I'll do what's called like the drag and drop method. So either depending on if I can throw an overhead forward cast or, you know, bow and arrow, whatever, get my fly out there. And then I'll 
drag it on the surface so I know where it is. And then as once I'm in that, you know, pie plate in front of the fish, you know, I put that slack back in the line and let that fly drop right in front of his face. And, and then once I have it there, I'll look for, you know, maybe a twitch in a tail or a turn or I'll give it a little jig uh, and, and hope he, he saw it and, and inhaled it. Okay. Um, what are a couple flies that you use? Or if I was going to come out and fish with you for carp out there, what are a couple that I could tie out as a slightly below average fly tire? Oh, the one go-to. It's only a couple materials would be the uh, uh, Mayer's Mini Leech, you know, just a little rabbit strip uh, and some ostrich hurl you know, on a jig hook with a bead, um, you know, that pretty much imitates, you know, leeches, damselflies, um, you know, dragonfly nymph. So that one is a, is a good go-to and an easy fly to tie. Okay. Uh, anything else or is that pretty much what you use? Um, I mean, I have my own, my own fly that I use. Uh, actually what's just, that? Let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah. So it's the, uh, I called it the, the DR damsel for, you know, D rib. Um, but it's kind of, kind of a twist on, um, you know, uh, just a, a regular damselfly I use. So I do it on a, on a curved, uh, hook, like a, you know, scud hook. And I'll use one of these, these new, uh, Thunxton football heads on it, uh, for, for weight, uh, for that drag and drop presentation. Um, and it's a lot better through my design. I use lead eyes. Uh, but those pick up a lot of grass. Um, and so you're always cleaning your fly. Um, but it has that yeah, football head on it, little rabbit fur for the tail. And then I use some D rib for a body. And then I use, uh, some of, uh, Cohen's carp dub on there. And, uh, that's, I probably fish that, uh, 95% of the time. <laughs> cool, man. So, yeah. Um, uh, is is there any place we can see this fly or maybe we can put some pictures in the show notes or something? Like yeah. That? I have a couple of photos, uh, on my Instagram, but I can definitely, uh, send those okay, your way. Cool. Cause I, I mean, even out here, I've been carp fishing a couple of times. Like, uh, and I think a lot more people are getting into it and certainly there's definitely people that love it. Um, so it'd be cool to, to check that out and try that. Uh, any fish stories or any memorable kind of either one that got away where you really learned something? uh, fishing for carp in the city there or, uh, any like just really stories that stand out in your mind as like a, a memorable fishing or a memorable fish. I guess, uh, probably memorable fish would be my first. Uh, so we have koi out here as well, uh, which they'll swim alongside, you know, those, those carp a lot easier to see in the muddy water. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but it was, I was fishing early, uh, early spring and it was during their spawn and, I don't know if you've ever seen carp spawn, but they kind of like school up and, you know, they splash towards the surface and, you know, I kept casting at them, but obviously they're, they're busy doing their thing. They don't, they don't want anything to do with the fly, but I kind of, you know, kept my distance and I kind of followed them around the edge of the pond. And every once in a while you would see fish come up and join the pod. And then you would see fish break off. Um, And what it looked like to me was, you know, that one that broke off, he'd, you know, kind of go tails up and start feeding. And then, so when I realized like, okay, Hey, don't, don't fish towards the school that's doing their thing, you know, wait until, you know, one of the guys breaks off needs, you know, quick bite to eat to get back to what he's doing. 
Yeah. You, know, you target that guy. And Okay. Uh, so that yeah, that was that the first one, huh? Yeah, then yep, then that was that was my that's how I caught my first koi. Just just watching them and and uh yeah, it was pretty pretty sweet. Let's say I'm out in Oklahoma City and I'm just starting out in fly fishing for carp. What's two pieces of what are what are two techniques you could give me that would help me catch more fish? It could be kind of tactical techniques. So for a tactical technique for catching more carp would be, yeah, two things. I would tell you to move slowly and stalk because any fast movement, you're going to spook that fish right away. And also accuracy with your placement of your fly. Um, if you're casting over the fish, he's going to see a shadow and spook. So I think stealth and accuracy would be the two pieces of advice I'd give you. All right. Well, let's talk a little more about the accuracy then. So when you cast, let's say you see the fish, you see the bubbles or you see the, the tail or whatever, where do you want to put that fly? So you're not going to spook it and you're going to be able to do the drag and drop that you said, just like kind of right out in front of it. So you can, cause sometimes they're moving the stuff too, right? Right. Yeah. Sometimes they're moving. So you want to lead them. Uh, so whichever way they're facing, uh, but things that I'll always, um, avoid doing is casting directly over the fish. Um, so I guess one of the tougher situations is when, you know, the fish presents itself and he's facing you. Um, cause it cuts down on that angle of, you know, where you can cast to get that fly and drag it and drop it in front of him. Um, so those are tough, tricky situations where I might, you know, get the fly out there to a side and maybe try to do like an aerial mend as I'm dragging it in. Um, but yeah, just always in front of the fish, never over the top. Okay. Sounds good. If you could only fish two days of the year, which two days would you fish it and how would you fish them? And this could be all of Oklahoma. Cause I know we talked yeah. earlier and you guide out there too, a little bit, right? Part time yeah. or do a little bit. Yeah. Part time. And so you're going driving further for that. I mean, can you talk just a little bit about, some of the other opportunities. And then I guess I'll ask you about when, when you would most like to fish if you only had two times, but what yeah. are some of the other fishing opportunities that, that you have out there besides carp in the city and, and, uh, where you guide a little bit? Yeah. So we have, um, where I mainly fish, I'll talk about those. Um, so we have a, a tailwater, uh, which we call the lower Illinois river, which flows into the Arkansas. Uh, they stock that with trout. Uh, so you have, you know, trout fishery there um striper also run up that river from the arkansas as well as white bass uh there's a bunch of gar in there and buffalo as well which is a, a sucker fish um and so that's that's one place i fish a lot and then other than that i'll go on the upper side of the lake which is uh, 10 killer lake and fish the uh illinois river which is a great smallmouth fishery uh, and still cool. has the, you know, gar and buffalo in there as well. And those, how far away are those kind of places from the city if you wanted to go out for that? Yeah, so gore's right at about two hours for me, and then going up to the upper is at three hours. All right, two to three hours. I've been further from further oh, yeah. from places before. So. Oh, yeah. And uh, you're not afraid to do it, you know, em- embracing the drive and such. Okay. So let's say given that you have these two other opportunities and then the city for carp, 
if you could only fish out there in Oklahoma City two days, which two days would you fish and how would you fish it? So fishing in Oklahoma City for two days? No, nope, or you anywhere, can go anywhere you want. Okay. Um, yeah. 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 So the first day uh, would be probably early June, late May, hitting the uh, end of that carp spawn where you have a lot of, you know, hungry carp swimming, you know, and okay. being in the metro, you, you have a lot of places to go because almost yeah. every, every pond has them. Um, and then my second day, I would say, would be about late April um, on the, 10 killer lake going into uh, where the Illinois dumps in a 10 killer called Horseshoe Bend uh, for the white bass run. Um, Okay, cool. Yeah. Can you talk a little about that? So carp made the list. So that's, of course, that's saying a lot that it's not just like out of necessity. Like you really like it. It's really fun. Like, like I said, lots of people really, really like it. Um, So, and then, can you talk a little bit about the white bass run? What's that all about? Yeah. So in the spring, they'll make their run uh, from the lake and they'll push up in the river to spawn. Um, and, you know, it is it is crazy fishing. So I went out there one evening. Um, Define crazy. Uh, so, yeah, here's the story. So I fish uh, kind of like a double streamer rig um, and I use a sink tip line and I was fishing this kind of like tail out of the pool, you know, deep pool and hooked up a double, which is, you know, two good size white bass. I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. So I scoop them up in my net, unhook them. And I like take a picture of the two fish in my net. And then my rod just starts bouncing on the edge of my boat. And I look over, well, it had another fish on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so just dangling over the edge of the boat. Like they were in there pretty thick. Um, nice. And when, yeah, when you find them in there, in, I mean, it's, it's on. You got to kind of see where they are, you know, find, find them where they are in their kind of progression yeah. uh, from the lake to the river, I guess. Yeah. Now I kind of want to ask you more about that. Like that <laughs> happens just in the spring or is that, uh, I guess you could fish for them in the lake too, I guess. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can fish for them. I mean, year round, but uh, during that time, uh, I mean, they're, the numbers of them are, you know, significantly higher. That's cool. Yeah, man. See, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like there's so much opportunity. There's so many things that you can do with fly fishing that are super fun and exciting. And it doesn't have to be, I say this all the time on the show and my listeners are probably getting sick of it, but it doesn't have to be, you know, cutthroat trout in Montana. You know, it can be, even though that's what, I kind of grew up with and, but it, it steered me wrong, man. I, it, I don't know if it spoiled me or what, but like, I, there's all kinds of places and opportunities. And now talking with you, you know, I don't have a lot of regrets. I wouldn't say I regret it, but I definitely could have gotten after it more and really enjoyed fly fishing more, uh, in these different places. Cause I mean, like you just gave three examples, Oklahoma city. It's not in most people's cross checks, but, um, so that so that that being said, like who are who's the type of fly fisher that comes out that wants to be guided that's in Oklahoma City? Like what what do you usually get from that? Uh, I guess uh, type so, of person. Yeah, m- most of our our trips will run uh, up on the Illinois River area because you know the smallmouth. But that's okay. I've had I've had clients. Uh, you know, I, I like to you know 
talk to them before to see what their expectations are because wow if, you know i really you know That's hey, good. Yeah. <laughs> it's customer yeah. service right and yeah, yeah. Um, you know i've have things from like oh i just want to be out on the water to i want to catch the largest smallmouth i've ever caught in my life and i'm like well how big <laughs> is the largest smallmouth you have now um but most of it is is uh, just uh some local people that um you know have have traveled to fish uh, but haven't fished in Oklahoma as much um so they kind of know what to expect in the drift boat and and stuff like that but experiencing that at home okay i get what you're saying they they're they're locals and they want to kind of learn more about fishing the waters around them yeah. because typically they're traveling to right. to get to places yeah. like um the mountains or the ocean or different places but like we're saying they're hopefully realizing like, Oh yeah, there's, there's cool things I can do around here. Let me talk to a guy like Larry who kind of knows the area a little bit more and maybe he can teach me something that I can take away. Yeah. That's really cool. And, um, once again, I wish I would have done that in a lot of places that I, that I was stationed, you know, but, uh, that's good, man. All right. Let's talk a little bit about mission planning and the importance of mission planning. We talked a little bit before the show and, uh, the importance of mission planning in fly fishing, right? Something that you do for work all the time. I'm familiar with that. Um, but I guess what I think a lot of people, I mean, some people in the fly fishing space probably don't do this as much, I guess. Um, when you're, when you're JTAC and you're going out, you ha- you're going to, you're going to do better if you do some mission planning, right? Like, oh, yeah. I guess you could not mission plan, I guess, yeah, that's, that's but it's not, fall wise. Apart. <laughs> it's not wise, right? Yeah. But, um, for, I, I want to ask you first about how you mission plan for some of these things or how you plan, let's just call it planning, right? Yeah. How you plan for some of these interesting places that you're going when you're in a, a spot where you wouldn't think there'd be good fishing or any fishing or fly fishing. How do you kind of look at planning for it? And then, and then I want to follow up a little bit with, you know, how do you plan for the unknown, I guess, in fly fishing or maybe they're the same thing. Maybe it's the same question. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, same approach at, at work, mission plan, obviously, you know, map recon, you know, where you're going, you know, Get on the maps. Yeah. Oh yeah. Always, you know, Google, you know, Google Earth, whatever, looking for, you know, the specific parts of the river that I want to fish that could hold, you know, whatever species uh, there is in that in that water. Um, which that, I mean, I think most people do that. So that's yeah. So you're looking at the map. What are you, what are you looking at on the map? Like, what are you what what are you looking for? Like, I I can take the map out and I can zoom in on the river or on the lake or something. Let's just say it's a river or, um, yeah, let's just, what, what are you specifically looking for? Yeah. So that, that would be almost, uh, like species specific, um, or I guess speed like fish type specific. Cause sure. Yeah. I, I know what, makes sense. Yeah. I know what carp water looks like. I know what, you know, trout water looks like smallmouth bass water looks like. So depending on, on the type of fish, I, no, that's in that location. Um, okay. Water type. All right. What else? What other things are you planning? Uh, equipment. <laughs> can't, can't bring the kitchen sink with me. So, 
right? You got to, yeah. you got to slim down, uh, you know, what I would normally take. You know, I, I fish a lot out of, out of, you know, the truck or the boat. So I usually tend to bring a lot of stuff, you know, uh, but when I go on these TDYs, obviously limited space. Um, so slim down on, on flies, leaders and, uh, tip it. And I just bring one rod and good, good six weight is a pretty good all around rod, um, for most, most species. Yeah. Um, and then I usually just go with my trusted patterns. So you're not taking the whole thing. So you have like a, a different carrying case that you use, or do you take everything and then just, cause that's something that I run into. It's like, I have all my gear and I have my kind of set up the way that I like to do it. But then when I'm going on a trip or something and I want to fish, it's like, all right, what am I going to, I know I have to have like a separate kind of pack and I've got to take things out of the pack and put it into the new pack. And then it's got to make it back to the old pack. I mean, do you have a better system for this? Can you help me out or do you do the same thing? Oh, I do the much, same or? thing. I just, you know, okay. you're like, oh, I got to do it. So I guess, I guess let me dump this out. <laughs> and Yeah. Yeah. I think it's helpful to have like a, a little smaller kind of, or a separate travel pack or something, even... Yeah, I've even been like where I take a lanyard with, you know, all the all the gear on the lanyard. Yeah. And then you know, a fly box and I might put some other stuff in like a plastic bag, you know, and yeah. then pack that and then when I'm on the water everything's in my pockets. Yeah. And and a lot of the times, you know, like, you know, like, you know, people want to bring forceps or something, but you know, part of my kit for work is a leatherman, so I was like, well, I have it there, I'll use that versus right. you know nice hemostats um yeah that i would normally fish with and you know same thing with you know instead of nippers i have knives you know knife with me so i'll kind of just sure. i guess adjust it that way okay equipment so as as little as possible bringing down everything to just the minimum you have um that's if you're traveling where you can't have a lot of stuff if you if you're going and you can bring things um is there other things about equipment that you do, like, you know, getting stuff ready and things like that? Anything? Yeah. So if I have, if I have the ability to bring everything, I'm probably going overkill for what, you know, okay. a lot of people do. So you're but, two extremes. You're like everything yeah, I got or yeah. very little. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. So what, what besides maps, equipment, what are some other things that you use to plan? Uh, logistics. <laughs> You know, I mean, you have to, you know, have a way to get there, have a way to hopefully get some other stuff you need, you know, i.e. like water. Or Food and water. Yep. That's good. What about fly shops? Are you, you looking ahead, calling people or talking to people or friends or things like that? Is that something that's important to you too? Yeah. A lot. I like, I mean, I love Instagram, um, not so much for the likes and shares, but it's a, it's sure. an easy, you know, forum to, you know, reach out to somebody, you know, and, and send them a, a DM and, Hey, I'm, I'm headed here. Like, what do you recommend? This is what I expect this is what I'm bringing. Could yeah. you point me in the right direction? No, that's really good. That's a good idea. I didn't think about that too much. Um, okay. Uh, what about, uh, well then weather, I look at weather, yep. especially look at flows and weather and things like that. Uh, is there anything else weather wise that you, you just check the weather and kind of look ahead and make sure you, you know what to expect there? Yeah. When it comes to weather, I lo- 
The only thing I don't like fishing in is is below freezing. Below freezing? <laughs> below freezing. Okay. I don't like ice on the guides. Uh, but you now rain, sun, all that. I never been able to dial much in you know a lot of people are you know hey let's fish a falling you know the pressure you know i don't i don't look that deep into into weather yeah i don't like fishing with ice in the guys either i've done it but the thing i least enjoy fishing in is wind i just wind. don't like fishing in wind but i'll do it for sure all right well let's talk a little bit about planning for the unknown and and some of the situations you've been in maybe where you do this planning ahead of time and now it didn't work out and you have to adjust. How does that, maybe a story that you could tell where that, where that was the case where you had to make an adjustment and worked out for you or maybe didn't. Uh, yeah, I have a pretty good story. Uh, a group of us were floating the, uh, upper Illinois for some smallmouth, Um, and we put in and launched a little later in the day and we did our map recon um, and I saw a log, you know, or, or a tree better yet across the river. And I'm like, oh man, that's, that's, uh, not good. And then, you know, someone's like, oh no, they, they probably cut it down. That's an old photo on, on Google and stuff. Well, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll trust you. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, sun's going down and, and we get to that spot and, uh, well, lo and behold, there's a tree across the river. Just like the map said. Um, yep, just like the map said. And nobody had headlamps. <laughs> we had two boats. We had to get over it. And so we had a couple people holding up cell phones using the flashlight uh, for us to manhandle these, these boats over, over the fallen tree. Ah, that's no fun, man. Headlamps. That is a good that one. Is... That has made my kit. I didn't yep. have it in there before, yep. but that is in with my fly fishing gear and my hunting gear all, yeah. all the time now. Hunting is more obvious, but now fly fishing is just one of those things that kind of makes it in the in the bag for sure. Anything else that you could think about with uh, kind of things to think ahead with kind of um, making adjustments or planning for the unknown that that you do to say, okay, this is my plan A, but what about plan B? plan c yeah so yeah looking at always got to have a have a plan b and a plan c <laughs> you know the, the normal pace plan um, oh gosh pace. you know all right and and you kind of talked about it earlier you know talking about flows right uh fishing a lot of rivers out here they have you know the dams and they'll post their generation schedule but the power companies will post a generation schedule but you know the corps of engineers will just do whatever they want yeah, so a lot of times yeah, so always always have a backup. You know, if it's not fishing that section that is getting the water, you know, it should be fine. But I'll you know move down lower in the river system uh, and and look for something else. So you know, kind of like okay, well, the water levels aren't what I think. I know where to go. I guess ahead of time. I think that's a good point. I, it's something that I forgot to do a lot of times. But the more that I'm taking trips now, the more that I think about that in my planning. Whereas before I used to be like, okay, we're going to Montana, like this last summer, we're going to Montana, we're going to fish the big hole. That's the plan. And I typically really like to fish the same water when I go on a trip because I like to get to know it. Um, I like to kind of 
learn about that water, find the sections that I like. I just like fishing the same water because I I feel like I get more out of it. Not everybody's like that. A lot of people want to see different things and be challenged on different types of water or whatever. But, uh, you know, when we got up there, the water was low. And but the beaverhead was fishing great because it's a tailwater, right? And so you've got um, colder water and better water, better floats. And I didn't really, um, I thought about it, but I didn't think about it in like, okay, it's there. But I think like talking to you and thinking back on things, it's it's not so much like, oh yeah, we'll find another river to fish or another place to fish if this doesn't work out. It's almost like, how will I do that? Like, how will I fish this other river? Like, are we going to need a guide now? Or do we need a boat when we didn't need a boat? Are we going to wade fish? Or like, what is the backup plan? You know, <laughs> like, what is the actual backup plan? Not just like, we're going to go over here and do this. Um, that, you know, if you don't know the hows, I guess. And that kind of didn't really bite us, but I think it would have been easier to pivot yeah. if I had had thought about it more and been like, Oh, well the beaver heads right here. And that's a good backup if the water's low because you know, all the stuff I just, we talked about. Yeah. So, and I mean, bringing up a good point too, though, is, you know, how am I going to change your tactics to the condition as well? And, you know, bringing everything, you know, whether it's yeah. sinking lines, you know, you know, the different color of flies that, you know, you know, stand out and, you know, muddy water versus clear water or whatever. Yeah, it's easy, especially on trips. Like, you know, it's a double-edged sword. It's easy to kind of go into the minimalist mode. Like, hey, I'm going to just bring as little as possible. But if you don't have a backup plan and this is your only game, I'm just going to – my plan is to fish dry flies and this is what we're doing. Yeah. Well, maybe that's not the best idea. So, I don't know. Get a, Maybe I need just a bigger, bigger backpack or just check a bag or something. Or <laughs> I like to be minimal, man. I like to not take a lot of stuff, but that's a really good point. Having the things that you need for the backup, uh, is important too. And being open-minded, you know, like, Hey, maybe it's not trout on the Illinois river. Maybe I go out there and Larry says, dude, I mean, yeah, we can go do that, but it's not fishing great. Like, why don't we go for white bass? Like, it's really going to be awesome and you're gonna have a lot of fun and you might learn something there too. I think that's, that's cool too. For my, in my case, that's a lot of like, I wanted to fish this river, but maybe we go fish a lake or something. Before I ask you my last question, Larry, how can people find out more about you or, you know, if they're out in Oklahoma city and they want to schedule a guided trip or learn more about fishing or just follow you along in your journey, uh, where can they go to find out more? Yeah. So the best place, uh, to contact me is on my Instagram. It's where I keep most of my, my fishing stuff. And uh, my handle is Dougie P underscore flies. Okay. And they can read that, reach out to you there. Oh yeah. Uh, what if they're not on Instagram? So uh, we do have a website for our guide service, which is nativewateroutfitters.com. Uh, and you can just contact us through there. Do you think when you're done with the, with the air force, do you think you'll pursue second career kind of in the outdoors, like with hunting and fishing or guiding and that type of thing? Uh, definitely. Um, so I am approaching 20 years. I'm going to probably, I'm going to probably do like 24 just to, to get that active retirement. Um, but I've been, been chipping away at uh, a biology degree and shooting for like a fisheries and wildlife. Cause I would like to do something in fisheries. 
Wow, man. That's awesome. Good for you. 9-11 GI Bill help out with that? Oh, yeah. Good, dude. Good. I'm really happy for you, man. I'm excited. That sounds cool. You're, it sounds like you're pretty close to that. Yeah. Are you excited? I mean, it's like, dude, it's, you might retire in a little bit and then you're going to be a, a fishing guide yeah. all the time, it sounds like. I don't know if it's, it, you know, being excited or scared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. What scares you about it? Um, Just being out of the military, you know, taking the jersey off. Sure. Yeah. Fly fishing is a way to kind of maybe stay in touch with some communities and things that'll, you know, you've got people around you that like the same things, but I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about, dude. Like, where are all my people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let me go find my people. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, good, man. Larry, last question. You ready? Yes. If you could go back to when you first started fly fishing and give yourself two pieces of advice, one more tactical and one more philosophical, what would you tell yourself to help you progress as a fly fisher? So for the tactical aspect, um, I think I would say kind of like slow down and observe things. Um, I remember being a kid and, you know, I'm just excited to be out there and I just charge right into the river and like, I'm going to fish that one spot. And, you know, unbeknownst to me, I probably just walked through a bunch of fish, didn't take my time to see what's going on in the river to maybe push me to some of those other tactics. Hey, dry fly or should I throw on a nymph um, or whatever. So definitely slowing down and observing the situation before you execute. Okay. Slow down. We'll call that. That's a little tactical and philosophical. Yeah. We're going to put it in a box. Which category do you want to put that in? Um, we'll put that in tactical. <laughs> okay. Tactical. Yeah. So philosophical, what advice would you give yourself? For philosophical, um, I think I would tell myself to let it go or not take it too serious. Um, I don't know if you've, I mean, everyone's probably experienced this, but you know, you lose a big fish and you're done for the day, right? You're, you can't get your, your vibes aren't there. You know, you're not fishing right. Um, you know, just let it go. It's, it's a missed opportunity, but you know, there's going to be more. That's good advice. I really like that one. Let it go. Awesome. Larry, thank you so much for being on the show, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I learned a ton. I'm excited. I wish that I had taken your approach to fly fishing with my time in the service. And uh, I really have a lot of respect for you for that. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for what you're doing. So thank you for that. And I wish you well through retirement. And I hope you find a good path forward doing what you love, fly fishing and, and that type of thing. Well, thank you, Jason. I really enjoyed this chat. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you about fly fishing. Thanks for listening to the Wade Out There Fly Fishing Podcast. You can learn more about some of the topics we discussed in today's episode show notes. For more fly fishing ideas, stories, and artwork, check out my blog and online gallery at wadeoutthere.com. If you want to make Wade Out There a part of your own fly fishing journey, please subscribe and share. Until next time, Wade Out There. <laughs>